when pushing comes to shove Money conquers faith and love You can buy them up for nothing Welcome back, everybody, to Rogue Opinions, and welcome to. I was going to say it's the first, yeah, it's the first like proper like review of something current in wrestling and something you know since you know, WrestleMania. We've not really talked about the the main roster or much of like current wrestling at all. Because you know we've got people like Nathan who aren't really interested. You know Carl and you know, kind of a slight past interest, and in I believe they're those guys who like to refer to themselves as recruits. Talked about it on their show. But, you know, most of the wrestling content you've heard is from the Rogue Retro Smackdown. And part of because I used to do a, a regular update on the main product. But, you know, a certain American uh, decided, you know, he wasn't funny anymore as if he was funny before. <laughs> uh, and decided, no, I'll, I'll talk about current wrestling, but only on a podcast with that guy, KJ. Bloody blasphemous. Uh, but we're back. Covering a main roster review because you know fans are back, so and there's a lot to get into with this one. I am Phil McLeod, your host for this podcast, and joining me is someone who I can, I can perfectly describe as the Pat McAvee of Rogue Opinions, Sam Preston. I I am emotionally conflicted about how to feel about that because everyone says supposedly Pat McAfee has brought life into the SmackDown commentary for like the first time in decades. But I'm also one of those who thinks he's a bit of a prick. So now I'm really conflicted. Like, do do I accept me being a prick or me being like the awesomeness that's added to the commentary? I think I'm going to go for um, awesome prick. I'm going to come to like. I'm going to come to terms with it and accept that. So I look forward to that. Thank you for read some new life into the rule ritual SmackDown, but you're also a bit of a prick, as uh, we saw on the debate. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I couldn't see you rushing to disagree with that. I, I feel like this is definitely something that you would have been the one to say. I 100% agree with this. I think we need to convey it as quickly as possible and make sure he understands, yes, he is a great A prick. Stay there, we must address it. <laughs> We've addressed it. We've uh, gotten the elephant out of the room, so to say, and now we're emotionally prepared for it. And that's fine, because I can just console myself with the pizza that just arrived while you were doing the introduction. So I'm happy as Larry. <laughs> well, you gotta take the victories when, as and when they come. But well, Money in the Bank 2021 it came at the end of a very big weekend of wrestling, where we had SmackDown with a full crowd. We had you know, a limited crowd of somewhere around 400, I think it nearly was, for Slammiversary on the Saturday. And then we had full capacity for uh, Money in the Bank here. We even had a Raw that was actually worth watching the following night with a full crowd. And it's just, you know, who would have thought, Sam, that having people there to make noise uh, during matches actually makes the stuff better? 
I tell you what, I was completely amazed to find that out. I thought that um, library-sounding matches would be awesome, but it turns out after 18 months, I was completely wrong. And really, we need loud people. So no quiet coaches on the train for this wrestling event. We need the fans in there and really add to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do, you, do you mind to catch any of, of SmackDown or Slammiversary? Uh, Slammiversary I currently still have on um, preparation where I want to sit down and watch it properly. Um, SmackDown, not really. I am... Um, I'm not really one of those that watches the weekly episodes anymore when it comes to WWE uh, because I find myself more frustrated than anything. I mainly save it for the pay-per-views and hope for something really high quality because hopefully the pay-per-view removes all the flabbing crap. But I did hear that Vince McMahon made a very good (laughs) one-liner. Yeah. He's like, where the hell have you all been? I don't think it was a plan the uh, plan. I think Vince just doesn't literally doesn't know what happened to the fans over the last year. Like where were they? They came back for WrestleMania, then they disappeared again. <laughs> he's so he's one, probably just like, oh, do you know what? These fans aren't doing what I'm telling them to, so I'm going to send them away for 18 months and then I'll have them back. Yes, Vince, <laughs> that's completely what happens. Um, that'll show them. <laughs> Don't you like Drew talking about the Loch Ness Monster? No. No, we do not. <laughs> why Why would we want Drew uh, going too deep into his Scottish heritage? I'm sure that there's many a proud Scotsman who are feeling fantastic watching him at the moment. Right, Scott? Drew's the least of my concerns when we talk about this show. Uh, <laughs> I'll get into that. I have, as Sam sometimes likes to say on SmackDown, thoughts about this. Uh, and we will talk about Raw as well, as in when it relates because uh, a couple of these little big moments happen on Raw, which tie into Money in the Bank. Uh, uh, yes, I, I actually did watch SmackDown, and it's the first uh, it's the first episode of Raw or SmackDown or any weekly TV that I've actually stayed up to watch in full in months. I can't even tell you last time I did that. And I think that's the impact of the Thunderdome and that has had on the weekly TV, even SmackDown, which has been quality, like consistently, very consistent in terms of quality, more so than Raw, uh, pre the fans coming back. Some anniversary I watched live. Uh, I knew not a lot of people in the podcast probably will watch it, so I'm actually working on a written review of it, which should hopefully be on the, the website soon. See, this is, my, this is my plan, Sam. I've got a couple of articles I actually want to write about which I'm writing about first, and then I'm hoping that'll give me the, you know, like, I need to keep writing, and then that'll put me in the mood to write my Kane article, which means I'll be able to get a lot of it done in the one sitting and not delay it any further. There's, that's my strategy here. I think it's very intelligent. Um, I am thinking to myself, I'm really glad I didn't give you a challenge such as um, you have to have this written by this point in time. Because I think I'd have a better chance if I said you have to write it by the time we get to the SmackDown episode where Kane is world champion, which considering that's about 2010, I'm not <laughs> sure you'll still get around to it. I'm pretty sure he was still technically part of SmackDown when he was ECW champion, so you know that shaves uh, <laughs> you know, so the pressure would, would would really be on. But yeah, I'm no, I am definitely no good complaints. This is well, you didn't give me one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be sure, teaching for Slammiversary, I really. 
I love Slammers. I, I, since Slammers last year, I've been watching Impact and more consistent, which is, you know, and for a while more consistently than anything in WWE. So, you know, I, I, I think my investment was maybe different than other people. So uh, I definitely do think people should go out their way and check it out if you haven't watched it already. And then go check out my article when it's out. But now that brings us to Money in the Bank itself, which, you know, I think it's a good one to have in front of fans because, you know, you want that crowd reaction to the person who's going to win the money in the bank because you get an indication as to who WWE are high on as a, as a potential future champion. And, you know, it's kind of, a lot of people say that, um, that money in the bank is really taking the place of king of the ring in terms of that other pay-per-view alongside the big four that WWE put a lot of investment in. I think for me, um, King of the Ring was always one of those that I was a huge fan of. I always loved this idea of the, like, this tremendous tournament winner going on to do well and that sort of thing. And what Money in the Bank offers instead is probably the closest they can get to a Royal Rumble event in terms of the anticipation and the possibilities that can happen. And obviously, the difference is that instead of possibly 30 individuals, it's only like seven or eight usually. But it really gives you that possibility of like, oh, any one of them could win. Anything could possibly happen. Could it be cashed in tonight? Could it be cashed in tomorrow, etc.? And that gives you such a great opportunity to tap into the appreciation of the fans and seeing who they are that they're emotionally latching to. And even if they don't, if you have someone who doesn't succeed that event, it gives you the possibility of building on something for the next couple of months, years, etc. It's a really good opportunity to see who the fans are going for. And fingers crossed, some of them can even have a tremendous coming out parade where they remind the audience and the people backstage of how damn good they actually are. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes, you know, they can get to see who people are high on and then just not have them win, even though they probably the smart decision would be to have them win. Uh, but before we talk about our first of two Money in the Bank ladder matches, and we delve into the actual show, we have the pre-show match of a DUI, I mean, uh, the Usos, uh, taking on Ronald uh, Ray and Dominic Mysterio for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Uh, I really saw the match. I know a lot of people weren't happy on the, the pre-show, but, you know, Usos have stolen the show on the pre-show before Ray and Dominic had some weird... Rick and Morty style portal that they wandered through and I thought this was going to be the reveal of Dominic now wrestling under a mask going forward because I think there was a story about a year ago he was trying to, were trying to trade, make, trademark the name Prince Mysterio and uh, that would be Dominic's like ring name because I think Ray the way Ray Mysterio has it in Spanish translates to King so also the Prince being his son uh, but no he just had a really weird uh, Jason Voorhees mask like somebody made a child made it in arts and crafts and that he wore and then immediately took off as soon as he got to the ring. Uh, overall, uh, as a match, it was solid. The Usos got the win, which I know, despite everything that happened with, with Jimmy uh, uh, recently and uh, getting another DUI, like the idea of having them, uh, the bloodline holding all, well, it's holding all the gold, but technically it's them holding all the silver. Let's really be honest about it. They're holding all the blue and silver in the, on the brand. Uh, I think. That's why WWE didn't want to, because they've clearly got a long-term plan going forward with. And, you know, I know you, some people should be punished and some people done less than this and been punished for it. But, you know, it's actually nice to see WWE sticking with a long-term story because Roman Reigns, the story of Roman Reigns has been going since SummerSlam last year. So I think this is one of the longest stories WWE's told in a good while. 
I think you're right. We've, we've gotten so used to WWE having like um, a knee-jerk reaction to things and say, and acting like they're planning for a story for at least two, three months, and then it's over in three weeks instead. Um, the uh, Actually planning something out and having a long-term story is fantastic for the fans because they get to enjoy the build-up, actually feel that there's something worthwhile to it, and then culminate in hopefully a tremendous story ending. Um, so I kind of respect the WWE wanting to stick to a story just because it's so rare that they do it. But it is a little bit frustrating that they decide one of the few times to actually just stick to something and not punish someone for supposed transgressions is when someone has actually committed a transgression. And what you're having here slightly is that someone is being rewarded for error of judgments that they've made. And what I'm what I'm mostly hoping is that in the long run, there's not going to be a impact uh, because of it. So it isn't going to happen. That's going to make things worse because that could actually happen. Um, I really want to see that um, them actually take the time to hopefully help him backstage. Um, see if he gets some help. I've heard rumors that they may even move uh, put Naomi with them so that she can hopefully look at him a little bit better. But I'm very conflicted. I kind of appreciate the fact they're sticking to a story, but also disappointed that of all the times they decide to actually stick to something is when someone actually needs help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think it's not the first time this has happened with Jimmy, and apparently the the thing, the feeling backstage has been that if like it's you know it's their own person's person's own responsibility to get help. But I think the feeling is changing that you know it's the fourth time it's happened, like. Somebody needs to step in and help Jimmy here. Uh, and I didn't even notice, but everybody's talking about a moment later on with Roman and the Usos, and Roman apparently just saying you when he looked at Jimmy and just pausing. So everybody felt, said like that was their way of like acknowledging what happened with with Jimmy. Uh, and yeah, I think you know maybe moving over, maybe actually doing something with her, putting her in this storyline would be most they've ever done with her like in a while. Uh, and you know, hopefully, you know, she actually fit in well and also be there to look out for them, you know, because she's been getting a lot of abuse, abuse from people. Uh, well, I say people, cunts. That's the best way to say it because, you mm. know, as if, as if she's the one putting the drink in, in his hand, like, come on, uh, you're, you're, you're all right to drive home. Like, it's not, it's nothing to do with her. Yeah, I like to imagine she's not in the back seat going, oh, let's fucking get home and that. You know, I, she doesn't come across as the sort that's going to be polluting someone or making them worse um i really like to believe that um so the idea of people blaming her is absolute misogynistic bullshit and it fucking angers me so much especially like she doesn't she wouldn't deserve it so i'd like to see her actually get something out of having to go through all of this trouble so fingers crossed that I think if she did join the um, did join Roman Reigns' group, she could offer a really good perspective to it. She would be technically part of the family, but could be uh, you could see the difference between the possible blood and non-blood. And I feel there's just a lot more opportunities that can come from it. And at the same time, backstage, it should hopefully have a positive influence on Jimmy and help him out quite a bit. Yeah. Because later on, uh, Jay is like all acknowledging Roman, and Jay is like, "Oh yeah, 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 me, yeah, me too, yeah." Uh, 
And so he's still hesitant. You know, he want, I think he's looking out for his, wants to help his brother, but it doesn't really, doesn't feel like sweet or to everyone's way of thing. So adding Naomi there to kind of tell Jay, like, tell Jimmy that he doesn't need to listen to everything Roman says. Uh, and all the way on, maybe Roman's really, you know, dismissive towards Naomi, like, you're not really family, you've married into this family. Uh, and like you said, so that kind of dynamic with it. And also, Having her maybe going after the women's title again further add to the fact that this family all has gold. It would be good for Bianca as well because uh, they're quickly running out of people on SmackDown, which is probably why they did Bailey, her and Bailey, so often. She's quickly running out of people, so it would freshen up that division, gives Naomi something to do. And I was looking, I was just trying to remember what uh, Jimmy was pulled over, like what his limit was. Apparently, it was point two oh five. It was the blood alcohol level that uh, he was found to have. And the legal limit in, in Florida where he was pulled over was 0. 0.08. So like he's more than like two double or even triple over the legal limit. Yeah, I think he's over triple the amount that he should be allowed. So it's not even like uh, one or two drinks over. It's a fuckload of drinks over. Yeah. And like, it's, even this is the fourth thing that my brother and I were talking about, you thought like we are that much over the limit. It's a wonder like nobody got injured. There wasn't, there wasn't an accident and nobody got even killed in it because you know like I haven't felt too often now in the world you know, with somebody drunk buying the wheel and somebody you know paying the price for it so it's really weird weird how we varied I know it's a very serious issue but we've not talked about this match at all I really enjoyed this match what did you think of it? Um, unfortunately I didn't watch the pre-show which was why I was discussing everything else because I actually had something to contribute to that one um right I unfortunately, I don't often watch the pre-show, but this is one of those where I kind of wish I had because it sounds like it was a fantastic match. Well, it was uh, maybe not the best match I've had. They had like a match uh, a month or so back on SmackDown right before they built to the the Ray Roman like Hell in a Cell match that they had. Uh, so, but I'm sure they'll have a rematch maybe at SummerSlam. But you know, it was a decent match. Uh, yeah, the finish came when I believe it was Jimmy or the roll up on Ray and buying the rest back. Yeah, Jimmy kind of. Like leaning against them from behind them through the ropes, now to give them that leverage. So, you know, a sneaky heel win from the Usos uh, to steal the tag team titles. It was a cool moment where uh, Ray goes to give, I believe, Jimmy the, uh, the 619 and uh, Jay leads up on the apron to take the 619 for him. Which really, then Jimmy rolls back around, Ray springs off the rope, the top rope, and gets caught with a super kick in midair. So, uh, that was a really good moment. I really, I was surprised it was Ray that took it, but I thought it was definitely going to be Dominic. But yeah, I definitely go out your way to to watch this one if you haven't checked it out. Uh, also, a lot of people aren't a fan of the the set, like you saying it's just a big screen. But you know, I like I like the way they did the the cheat. They've edited some people's graphics and everything. Uh, and so I'm just happy with anything that's not the Thunderdome. So I'm I'm happy with. It. I'm hope sad that Raw didn't have the weird like but with a with a slope that they had pre-pandemic that okay, everyone said that running spot up one that one time. Um, yeah, I'm sad we didn't bring that back. Um, I have to admit, I didn't pay much attention to the actual um, stage because it's just a little bit plain for me. Um, <clears throat> it, was, it wasn't enough for me to actually go out of my way and notice, which um, I won't lie, it's slightly disappointing considering that there was times where they have some fantastic staging done and I am hopeful that they start coming up with something a little bit more imaginative. Now they've surely saved all this money through um, the last couple of months. 
actually give the fans something to look forward to, start putting proper stages on, actually tie into the events you're doing, etc. Just give us something to look forward to because um, a big screen can only do so much. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they could find a fund for that. You know, it's not like they've been posting you know, record profits over the last year. No, I, I, it's not not at all. It's like um, I'm I'm pretty sure they're just about struggling to scrape by, aren't they? This this whole place is. I'm really strapped for cash. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can only use my uh, jet plane once a month, as opposed to free. <laughs> the struggle is real, but we then go into the the main show. Uh, also, something that kind of got old very quickly as a. Uh, they really figured, oh, well, we're probably getting to people who decided to tune out when there wasn't fans. So uh, let's let's show some highlights of just for every person when they came out. Like, oh, that one time they did this. Like, Alexa, they show her winning the money in the bank a couple of years ago for Naomi. They show her when she won the women's uh, title, uh, Elimination Show 2017, things like that. And then over the night, they very quickly got uh, started running out of highlights to show for people. Because for the Viking Raiders, they chose to remind us of that weird anything you can do, I can do better series with the Street Profits. For Jeff Hardy, they went all the way back to 2008 when they won the the WWE title. <laughs> yeah, it's not as if he won a title during the Thunderdome era when he was Intercontinental Champion or anything like that, but maybe that really wanted to tie into the fact he brought back his, his No More Words theme song. I was mainly surprised to actually see them showing some of their history, because I am one of those that loves seeing the uh, wrestling look back at their history and use it to build upon. So when it started off with the flashbacks to, to previous cash-ins and victories, I thought that was fantastic, and I really loved that. And I thought it told a really good story of um, the differences it could make if they actually won this uh, money in the bank. It helped sell it a lot better. Um, and I think... Especially Naomi, who at the time was probably not as um, strong as you as you would hope she would be. It sort of reminded people, oh, actually, yeah, she's really capable. Um, and I think Alexa Bliss especially, it really shows the difference that's occurred in her over the last couple of months. Um, how she's uh, changed into this much more malicious, crazy-esque character. Um, it just sells it a lot more. And I, I always think that's a really added bonus to everything. Um, I was curious about the people who were entering. Um, think to my as I was going through, I was watching. I was just like thinking to myself what their chances were and that sort of thing. So I'm curious to hear um, as each one came out what you thought their chances were, or whether you thought they needed money in the bank or that sort of thing. What was your predictions before, more or less? I think up until like a day or so ahead of time, I I was convinced Alex Plus was going to win because they seem to be going all in on this like spooky mind control thing she's been doing because she's managed to hypnotize you know Reggie and Nia Jax because you know Jedi mind tricks only work on the weak minded and <laughs> I remembered oh yeah she's won it before and I don't I think it's very early in the women's division even though they've got a very limited roster compared to the male side of things to already have a two time winner. Unless you wanted to do maybe Asuka being the first back-to-back, which I think she'd be a good one to do that with. Uh, and, and then, so, up until a few days before, I then changed it to Selena Vega. Because I thought it was between her and Liv Morgan, but I think the idea of Selena coming back, stealing it from out of Liv Morgan, 
and then maybe a feud between those two would have been a good thing for SmackDown. So I then changed it to Selena Vega. And I thought, Asuka, you know, she's an outside better dark horse, something like that. The others, I kind of had very little expectation for them to win. I thought it was funny as fuck about Tamina getting added because up until, like, I think a couple of days before SmackDown, the final spot was a TBA, so everybody was immediately, oh, Sonya Deville's going to add herself because she's apparently gearing up for an in-ring return or it's going to be Sasha Banks come back or Becky and then just announced on Twitter, Tamina will take the final spot and the money in the bank will. That was as underwhelming as anything involving Tamina could ever be. So just that. And to me, and I know some people might not will not agree with me on this, I think a potential perfect winner for this match wasn't even in it. And I'm talking about Eva Marie, because I, after a couple of weeks of it happening, I actually am now getting full behind on this Eva Marie do-drop thing. Because I've got, I've got friends who like uh, Piper Niven and Viper on the Indies who are refusing to call her Dewdrop. Like, oh, it's a terrible name. Like, Piper Niven is a terrible name. How many badasses do you know have a surname Niven? That's not a cool name to have. Uh, and so, like, the idea of her Piper doing all the work that Eve Marie thinks she's this life coach that's helping motivate Piper all the while taking credit for it, I think is a great heat magnet, especially with fans coming coming back. And so the idea of Piper entering the match, winning it, but giving it to Eve Marie and Eve Marie claiming she's won it, and then Piper comes out, beats up whoever's champion, Eva cashes in and does as little wrestling as possible. It's just like, you want to create genuine heels here, because people are getting themselves probably worked up about this. You need to, the one thing you had to capitalise on proper heat for somebody, and then they really, they've already started rushing through the, the whole dissension between the two. They're doing something with Alexa for some reason. Didn't sit it when they should probably actually be winning the women's tag titles because I think those two could tell an actual story with the women's tag titles. They could be like the Miz and Damien Sandow of the, the tag, women's tag division. You know, one person does all the work, the other claims all the glory and everything. I think it would also be funny if like Dewdrop won the money back, the graphic comes up, your winner, Dewdrop, and even when he gets on the mic, demands that they change it. And then so it changes money in the bank 2021 winner, Dewdrop then changes to Eva Marie. <laughs> I don't know whether they'd be allowed to do that because don't forget you had this um, situation where um, Carmella was meant to be the first ever winner, um, but it was James Ellsworth who actually got it for her and they end up having to do a rematch in order to make it official. And um, for me, I'd have been curious to see that if um, Dewdrop had been wrestling in the match, if she won, and then what the plan would be is that when she eventually cashes it in, she would then have to defend it against Eva Marie and Eva would expect her to lay down for her. And it it could almost be like a Ted DiBiase Virgil moment where the fans are begging for her not to lay down, not to do it, etc. Gradually building herself up and going, actually, no. And that sort of thing. But um, <clears throat> that might require a bit to too much thought into it so i don't know whether it was likely they would have done something like that um in regards to the people who were actually featured in the match i have to admit i thought um i thought alexa even though she's a great character um i'm not sure whether it actually works Uh, she's like she's a very good good at her role but it's almost to the detriment of her actual her actual ability because she can't actually do her normal wrestling matches and it kind of loses 
something when it uh, if she was to win this match. I mean, you wouldn't see The Undertaker win Money in the Bank, for instance, or I'm not even sure Bray Wyatt would make sense because that would require them to be too focused on a championship, which normally isn't their thing. Um, I did think that Asuka, similar to you, was the obvious choice, but when she came in, I was thinking she doesn't necessarily need this. She doesn't need to win it because she already has. Um, Tamina and Nat- Natalia, to me, were just meh and barely worth paying attention to because if they won it, then you'd pretty much be shitting on money in the bank because I don't think either of them deserve it. Um, quite frankly, to me, the ones who looked the most the most obvious was either going to be Naomi or Liv Morgan in terms of a babyface victory or Selena due to being the big heel. But I did think that the booking ever since she came back hasn't been exactly great for her. Um, the one person I thought probably didn't have a chance and wasn't going to win was going to be Nikki. Because <laughs> I was thinking uh, this would be just like if Otis won again. But... <laughs> We, we should we should obviously see as we go through. Yeah, I mean, so I'll briefly talk about the Emery uh, thing again. Yeah, I definitely like the Dirty Bassy analogy is a perfect one. I think it's I think the one that would be better suited would be maybe they tried a Andre Teddy Bassy situation where she won it and then immediately gave it to you know even Marie or rather than having or buy it off or like Teddy Bassy did. Uh, so that interesting how they would have done that and like either then. Eva's whole thing is she doesn't want to do, she doesn't want to wrestle at all because there was a point in a match where Piper uh, or Dewdrop, whatever you call her, uh, didn't want to tag in. And so even we had this genuine look of terror on her face, like, wait, no, no, you're not going to tag in. That means I have to actually wrestle. And it was such a good character moment for her. Uh, in terms of this match, I mean, I am not a fan of this Nikki Ash gimmick whatsoever, ASH or whatever. It's like, She's called Nikki, she's called her as almost a superhero, Nikki A.S.H. But A.S.H. stands for almost a superhero. So our introduction is almost a superhero, Nikki almost a superhero. It's like that time Global Force Wrestling took the Twitter handle G- at GFW Wrestling when the W already stood for wrestling. So mm. the Twitter basically Global Force Wrestling Wrestling. Uh, that makes that makes no sense grammatically, and like everyone's like, oh, but it's not a different thing. He came up with it herself. That doesn't make it good. I came up with shit ideas before. Doesn't mm. mean doesn't make them any better than other ideas I've been given from other people just because I came up with it by myself. Yeah. And, uh, but like this, like, this okay, the crowds are coming back. Like gimmicks that people don't like. Like not a lot of people aren't anti Alexa being speaking everything. Some people, some people are behind the Nikki. Some people think some people aren't. The real test will be in front of a crowd. He was like third or fourth who came out and the crowd went very mild. And bear in mind, this is a crowd that hasn't seen live wrestling in over 18 months. And even then, she didn't get that much of a reaction, which I think goes to tell how bad the reaction was. The only person that got a worse reaction than her was Tamina. That is not a sentence you should be saying in terms of talking about how good you're getting to. Yeah. Um, I can appreciate to some degrees uh, Nikki trying to come up with her own character so that she can get back on TV, but I don't, I don't like the character. I can't, I can't get around it because it's just, it's very childish to some degrees, which I know probably suits Vince McMahon because it means he can sell more T-shirts and get more merchandising and that sort of thing. And it's just, it, it doesn't work for me, and I don't. 
I especially feel that there's a lack of seriousness to it, which means that if she's gonna, if she's winning money, if she was to win money in the bank, it has a detrimental effect on the prestige of the championship, especially if it was done in an Otis style, which I still think was very insulting and absolute bullshit. Um, but I'll, I'll try not to get too annoyed about that. I promise. Um, I just, I don't like comedy performers being given like, um, big opportunities like this, unless they've shown that they can actually back it up in the ring in a way that makes sense. So like, for instance, Orange Cassidy challenging Kenny Omega for the AEW title, I can believe because even though he's this laid back sloth, he was also one of the highest ranked members of the of the division because he kept on getting victories and in a convincing manner. That's different to someone trying to be a superhero and looking like a child when they're doing it. I just she would have been the one that I would have thought would have been a massive mistake if they were to pick her. The only one that would be more of a mistake would obviously be Tamina, but that's mainly through talent as opposed to character. Yeah. I mean, looking at her, I mean, I know some people might call me a hypocrite because I loved the hurricane when I was younger and I still do. I think there may be a way, I think maybe it's the way that, you know, Shane Helms portrayed the character where he, he pulled off as opposed to how Nikki plays it. Cause I don't think Nikki's like never been my favorite in terms of promos. She's not the best actress, so maybe that's why it doesn't work for me. It also kind of screams like yeah, like somebody a kid wants the hurricane. Like we had the hurricane at home. Shows a picture of Nikki Nikki Ross, the <laughs> Nikki Ash, the hurricane at home. Uh, yeah, the, the, the costume does look very cheap. It it, it does, and mm. it's not. Ju- and I'm not my main issue with this match because this is easily the worst match of the night. The women's money in the bank, and that's a shame because I didn't. I wasn't a fan of the first one. Because I think they were still a bit too hesitant in the first third women's money bank of what they would allow the women to do. And then from on then onwards, the women's money bank had a, a 20, 20, 18, 2018 were really good. The way they incorporated it with the men's was really good in 2020. And then this one felt like a really big step back. So it's not just about who won it that that uh, really like put me off it. Because maybe if somebody else won it, it might have changed my opinion. But like there wasn't anything, there weren't any noteworthy real moments in this match. Other than the finish, like when Nikki did that spot, which and you actually watch the slow mo replay, she almost catches her leg on the the rope as she's jumping into the ring, so she doesn't even pull off that gracefully either. Mm. There's no real spot. The, Natalia and Lever playing tug of war for the la, for the ladder for what felt like an eternity, as everybody else was just wrestling around them. One thing I did love was Alexis coming out first, standing on the ropes and just standing there very still while everybody else was coming out. And I was saying to my brother, I was watching this with. I want to see how much of this match can they wrestle with her just standing there. <laughs> I thought that was a great character be, and that just says to me how much um, Alexa gets the character. I think she's got a tremendous creative mind to it. Um, and that is one of the reasons why I'm probably more gutted that you can't see her having proper wrestling matches as much um, as she used to. I mean, the spot where she hypnotizes Selena Vega was proper bollocks, really. Yeah, it just—it was one of those moments where I was like, "Really, really." Mm-hmm. It's just like I don't know whether they could have actually, like, if she had actually won by doing that, it would have been even better. But it just for me, it didn't really work. I remember 
Nikki's dive. And I actually thought at the time she looks like she barely made it. And I thought she was going to damage herself. Um, I'm probably going to surprise you. I actually thought the best performer in the match um, was Liv Morgan. I think from the very early stages of it, when she tried, when someone picked up a ladder and hadn't even set it up properly and Liv's running up the ladder to try and get that. um, I became invested in her story, thinking about how she's like the underdog. Nobody's expecting her to win. She's got, uh, she's going to be trying the hardest. She was the one in the tug of war. She got um, uh, caught in the corner uh, with the ladder with Alexa actually climbing up on it. I was really thinking that you're if if she wins, then you're telling a really good story of an underdog against the odds. And that's why I think I was so disappointed um, when she didn't win because even though she was probably one of the least likely to win beforehand as a fan, as a fan favorite and the story they were telling, I felt it was perfectly placed for Liv to actually win. And that probably is why Nikki winning was even worse for me. Cause I felt that they had created a story and then at the last second jerked it around and that disappointed me. I think the way they want people to get behind Nikki is the way that people are already behind Liv, in a way. And that's why it's so baffling that they didn't go with Liv, because, yeah, I agree, she easily got the lowest reaction. Even she had a pre-taped, well, not a pre-taped, but she had a kind of a, she's backstage and she's talking to a kickoff fan, so she appears on screen for an interview during the kickoff, and the crowd very loudly react positively to her when she appears on screen. And, like, so that shows just how well they've done in the last couple of weeks, you know, her being constantly denied to be in the match and then she finally gets in there. And I really thought it would be a good idea, like, you know, have her win or have her come close and then have someone like Selena Vega, as I said earlier, win it. And then you maybe later on have Liv versus Bianca. And then in the middle of that match, Liv or whoever won it cashes in. And then Liv has to fight her way back to to get to become SmackDown Women's Champion. You had a real story that you could have told over a couple of months afterwards with this. And instead, you went with the idea of like, huh, superhero. We can make merch from this, goddammit. Uh, yeah, like, you had the hypnotizing spots. Like, I don't even need any, like, ricochet dives in this match like we got from the the other mind bank, but at least have some creative uses of the ladder as a weapon rather than just the, the tug of war, which I'm sure we've seen a, a bunch of times. Uh, if, if you're going to have anybody do that spot, blame uh, off the ladder into the ring, I don't think it should have been Nikki. The only reason they did that is, like, oh, she's a superhero, so she must be, she must fly even though Nikki Cross wasn't a high flyer before. And if you're going to have anybody do that, surely you should have had Naomi do that. Because like, she's like, had like, innovative spots in matches like the like in the 2018 Women's Money in the Bag, or even the, and her, her innovative spots in the World Rumble where she avoids elimination. Surely she's the one you trust with that and not somebody like, like, like Nikki, because I know she just barely got it. But that spot could have went very wrong because, as I said before, Nikki's not a high flyer. No, I think it was, it was an ill-suited decision. And um, if if you weren't going to have Nikki, I can almost imagine that, again, that would have been the perfect spot for Liv, showing the limits she was willing to go to to try and win against all the odds. And it just it keeps on saying to me that there was probably a better story um, being made that they almost found a way to um, upset at the at the end, which really disappoints me. I think this was a match that had much better potential than it ended up showing. Um, 
I kind of like the ending to some degrees in how ridiculous it is that everyone's wrestling and they don't notice Nikki, mainly because Natalia basically has the sort of like expression as if like someone someone just stole her paycheck. Um, and I'm just like, that's absolutely brilliant. But really, it does make the others look a little bit stupid. And it's just, it was a, it was a bit, it was underwhelming, I think is the best way to go. It, it wasn't bad. It was mostly just underwhelming in comparison to what I was ex- expecting and hoping. I mean, I did, I thought it was kind of cool when they did the spot, you know, burying Alexa under all the ladders because she's somehow become the biggest threat here because of, only other people have seen that happen to people like the fucking Big Show or Braun Strowman. So it shows how protecting, protective they were of uh, Alexa Listeners. And then yeah, everybody else is fighting. Like, especially, I can't remember who it was on the middle ladder that Nikki crawled over. But, like, they, they looked the worst out of all because, like, can you not feel somebody crawling behind you? How little feeling do you have behind you to not notice somebody's climbing over you to get to the briefcase? So, yeah, it made everybody else look stupid. It kind of. The match didn't feel like it'd really been going that long compared to other Money in the Bank ladder matches. And so that's that kind of came out and they're like, oh, it's over. And then Nikki just buggers off, you know. She bravely ran away, away, uh, and posed on a ladder outside the ring with it. And, like, not very superhero. It's not very brave as a superhero. He's then come and steal it from other people and run away very quickly. Uh, and then we just celebrate it. And I think... The exact words I yelled at the television as Nikki won the match was, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, I believe it was a uh, fuck right off. Because <laughs> I, I would be happy if Sanity Nikki won this match or if Nikki, who was teamed with Alexa Bliss, won this match. Because you can maybe tell a story between those two uh, with it. But this version of Nikki out of all of them to be the one to get this uh, just doesn't sit right with me. I don't. I'm not behind the gimmick. I don't care if it was how it came up with it. I'm, st- I'm not behind it. Uh, again, we, t- we already talked about Liv was uh, already like the perfect, seemingly the perfect person. It made everybody else look stupid. And, you know, I've had friends who basically say, oh, like, Nikki was their favourite. And I'm, I've tried to say to them, like, can't, who, who are also Scottish, and I've tried to say to them, give me, like, at least three reasons to root for Nikki in this new gimmick, other than the fact that she's Scott, also Scottish. I don't believe in the idea of supporting people just because they are also from the country you are from. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I did do a big thing on the Royal Rumble 2020 pod. Like, yeah, Scotland, Drew, and all that. But I was also happy for Drew in general because he's been a world champion much earlier. You know, he was, he was a good promo before he started leaning into his Scottishness. He, uh, he's athletic, he can wrestle. You know, he, he's got everything you need to be a, a main eventer, is Drew. And so, like, and then even the Dewdrop thing, like, I wasn't that hyped about a paper cut because NXT UK, she was, her whole thing was, I'm Scottish and I'm also strong because that seems to be the thing in NXT UK. You have two personality traits uh, in NXT UK and one of them is the country you're from. Uh, and so she didn't really blow me away there. And then so she, But then she came up, this whole thing with yeah, Eve Marie, so I'm supporting her because I want this Eve Marie story like, to lead to big things, not because she's also Scottish, but... Uh, Nikki, I'm just like, I don't care if it's another Scottish person on TV. If I'm not into the character, I'm not going to get behind them. Yeah, I understand that completely. Um, <clears throat> I think especially comparing it to Drew, Gall- uh, Drew Galloway is a really, uh, Drew McIntyre, sorry, is a really fascinating comparison because when you look at Drew McIntyre, you see someone who is an actual main eventer. When he won the Royal Rumble, it made sense. 
when Nikki won Money in the Bank, it didn't because it doesn't suit the character. Um, you're not going to get the same result from both of them, regardless of the fact that they're both Scottish. So I think it's a really good point. Um, I'd like to see some more elements of Nikki's character coming across and as opposed to just, oh, I'm a wannabe superhero and that sort of thing. Maybe even get like um, a, an outfit that doesn't look like it's being made on the cheap. I don't, if she's made it herself, I, then I, I'm sorry if, if, it, if it upsets her because that's not the intention. But it's it doesn't look it looks a bit cheap. It looks a bit independent, and that's not helping either. And well, I just I feel there's a lot of things that needs to be sorted out with it first of all. I think that there was an opportunity here to maybe get people behind her in between their casting in, uh, but they already rushed into that, and we'll talk about that more when we talk about the Raw Women's title match. Uh, but I, and I know it might seem bad for me to say this, but as I said at the time, I've never rooted against the casting more than I have with her. I rarely root against something like, oh, I really hope they, don't, they aren't successful casting in. But I, I felt that way when she won it because I just couldn't see her as champion. But it shows what I know. Uh, go, we'll come back to that later. We'll go now into the Raw tag team title match between Age of Thales and almost the, the champion taking on the Viking annoyance, uh, Ivar and Eric. Uh, it, it's weird. I really enjoyed uh, I almost and uh, I really enjoyed AJ and almost versus the New Day at WrestleMania. But Ever since then, they realised, like, oh, yeah, we forgot. We don't care about tag team wrestling because there have been, like, two pay-per-views in between this and WrestleMania, and this is their first pay-per-view title defence. And the only other time they defended titles, I think, was that was one time uh, just before Backlash against in a rematch of the New Day. So, yeah, AJ and almost, they, it, there was so much there for them as tag team chance, but they've done bugger all with it. And this match, I think, very much followed a similar beat to... The WrestleMania match, and that EJ does a lot of the work before tagging almost for the occasional spot. Except this time, instead of like EJ being isolated, it was more I think EJ trying and uh, not wanting to tag in almost because maybe are they trying to tell the story that EJ is starting to feel overshadowed by almost. Uh, also, I mentioned that I didn't like they showed the the scene of the Street Profits. Somebody pointed out I think it was Cultaholic that he said like of all the moments in that. Uh, see the street boys. You notice how they didn't show backlash because then they would have to show the giant ninja who definitely wasn't Omos. Definitely wasn't him. <laughs> I um, I kind of like the way that they're portraying the team between them. In that, <clears throat> it's very much a case of where AJ does a lot of the actual uh, does the heavy lifting in terms of telling the story and that sort of thing, and <clears throat> can help teach. Uh, um, Omar in a, in a way that he can only get better. Um, they're utilizing his strength at the moment, um, uh, literally and figuratively, in that he is intimidating and he has good brief moments of like a flurry and attacks and that sort of thing. Um, so I think the, uh, the way that they're portraying it is really clever. I think the team actually has some really interesting chemistry between them, especially like um, when it came to the uh, Tope Hoa Karano, I thought was absolutely gorgeous. And I loved that one. Um, 
And I actually think that um, Eric and Ivor had a really good opportunity to remind fans that how good they actually are. So I think, especially with like um, the stuff with the street profits, really put a bit of a dampener on the tremendous in-ring work they used to do. And I'm hoping this was a really good reminder to people that actually this is a very capable tag team who should still be um, appreciated by the crowd. It was um, it was a solid tag team title match, I feel. Um, <clears throat> it played into the best parts of um, a, an actual tag team match in terms of having the Raiders cleverly trying to separate their opponents, uh, trying to see whether or not they can damage one or attack the other, etc. But in the end... Um, got overpowered by what are what is a very good wrestler in AJ Styles and a very capable strong individual in Omos um it, I'm curious to see where they will go from here um I don't know how much longer they can really keep the tag team titles because one uh I do feel that the fans now that they're back you could tell we're already cheering on AJ Styles because the thing is is that even though he is very good at playing a heel, um, he's also one of the best wrestlers in the entire company. So fans now are going to be coming back and supporting him just because of how good he is. And they may eventually have to turn him babyface to play off it. And in that situation, what do they do with Omos? Do they have him turn face as well? Or do they have him turn heel? That's the question. <laughs> Let's see where they're very good. I mean, I... Th- I don't think there'll be that much against almost, you know, if they, like, if they present him right, you know, you know, unlike what they're doing with Jackson, right, you're trying to present him as a fucking baby face, which is bizarre. Uh, you know, he, he got a few cheers on Raw the other night, but, you know, they're they're in Texas, so maybe that has something more to do with it. Sorry if you're listening and you live in Texas to make assumptions about that. Uh, but, you know, they have done some innovative, easy for me to say, moves with AJ and almost not like that move where, you get AJ you know, gets picked up by almost a mid run and thrown to the outside. They had that a uh, phenomenal form over almost his shoulders at WrestleMania, which I'm glad they didn't pull out here because I think that's the you save for you save every for every so often. Uh, and, and then like you had almost like deadlifting Ivar over his shoulders, which was impressive. So I think with almost they're doing a good job of uh, so far. You know, is probably I mean, we used to say you know accentuate the positives, hide the, the negatives. And I, I think really the only other team is Orton and Riddle. It's the only real team to beat, to beat them for the titles. I think that might happen at SummerSlam if Orton decides to finally come back from his holiday or wherever the hell he's gone off to. Uh, especially, like, because I'm hoping that they go for that spot again, the uh, forearm over the shoulders, and Orton, like, catches him in an RKO or something like that. Because I think that would be a hell of a finish to the match at SummerSlam if that does happen. But... I know a lot of people are kind of wanting this to be on the pre-show rather than rather than the Usos you know, match. They thought it would be better quality-wise, but I actually think this was a serviceable tag match. It did what it needed to do, and you know, I'm I'm happy that AJ and Omos are still tag team champions. Um, there was uh, something um, you just reminded me of something actually, which was um, <clears throat> I remember AJ Styles recently saying about the fact that. Um, he no longer does like the shooting star press or the spiral tap because he's worried about whether or not he can actually still do them because he's older. 
And now I've got this image of now that he's got Omos with him, <clears throat> imagine him doing like the spiral tap or shooting star press off of Om- Omos's shoulders, giving him more um, space to work with to possibly hit them, bring back these fantastic moves. And that also would tie in very well to imagine if he went to do a shooting star press and ends up getting caught in the RKO, just like Evan Bourne did all those years ago, but at a much higher level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because like he just done some cool RKO like spots with on before, like the time where he went to leap up on the ropes and immediately jumped down to fake Orton in. Or there's one time I think it was in an elimination where he jumped up on the ropes and Orton as he jumped as he got up on the ropes grabbed him and kind of pulled him off the ropes with an RKO. So you know, already done some uh, and don't. Don't be so childish. Uh, uh, he pulled him off the top rope, not not in that way. Uh, so I, I'm just saying, I like to see it. You know, I moved on from uh, Sam's childish mind. Uh, the only thing that wasn't so funny for Kofi Kingston was the WWE Championship match, which you know, it had me be something take when uh, when this match was announced as coming on next. Uh, given that it's so like, early in the card. Uh, I believe somewhere in the seven minute range it went, but you know, other than a quick roll up attempt, Kofi Kingston got fuck all uh, in terms of offense. Uh, so Lashley, you know, battered Kofi. He probably could have ended at any point, but he just wanted to show his dominance. You know, throwing him into the the ring post repeatedly, getting in the heart lock, getting him out of heart lock to a slam, and then going back to it. I know, and it was weird, like that they just like had this prolonged kind of squash match. Kofi, but you know, I think it makes sense when you see the the promo package that preceded it with the idea of like, you know, he's been beaten by Kofi and he's been beaten by Woods on Raw, so he's like, you know, I'm getting too soft. I need to go back to being, you know, the badass Bobby Lashley. And so like Kofi goes for the role, like, no, it's not going to be that easy. And then he, he proceeds to prolong, put on a prolonged beating to remove Kofi. This is a different Bobby Lashley that he's dealing with. I have <clears throat> very conflicted feelings when it comes to this match, I have to admit. Um, because on the one side, Lashley looks like an absolute beast. He is probably the strongest he's looked in months. And it it also makes sense for him to be so focused and so determined because after his losses to Kofi and Xavier, if he doesn't take this seriously, he could actually actually lose his title so to me <clears throat> it very much makes sense um completely and that's what i i love that aspect to it but mm-hmm. why does it have to keep on happening to kofi i mean why do you have to keep on having it that kofi is the one who puts in tremendous work gets the fans behind him and then he pretty much gets shat on i mean it happens with Brock Lesnar and then it happens with Bobby Lashley and God forbid if Goldberg ever ever decided to wrestle with him, it'll probably happen to him again. And each time it's like you're spitting in the face of the tremendous work he's done. And that is what frustrates me so much is how badly um, Kofi seems to keep on getting let down. Um, the I mean, part of me was wondering whether or not it would make sense that whether Wood should have been added to the match as well because he had pinned Lashley. So you could have made a triple threat match where 
both Xavier and Kofi have to battle against the odds against Lashley and then have Lashley still win and do it in a relatively dominating manner, possibly similar to Roman Reigns end up doing with uh, Daniel Bryan and Edge, where he pins both men. Um, you could do something like that, but at least that way it's not done within a couple of minutes and Kofi basically looks like he's been absolutely demolished. My worry is that eventually he's going to end up getting to the point that he's going to be as um, as impressive as Bob Backlund as a post-WWE champion. You know, it's going to be, and that's not what you want to see. You don't want to see, uh, you, you didn't really want to see Bob Backlund getting powerbombed and pinned within eight seconds. You don't want to see Kofi Kingston get pinned with eight seconds. It just, it disappoints me. Um, <clears throat> I don't think they give a reason for for Woods really not being there because MVP was there for Lashley. And I think if they really want to explain Woods not being there, they got the, the, the weeks really mixed up because, you know, he had the, they were after, after, uh, Hell in a Cell, Woods got murdered by Lashley. But then in the two weeks preceding uh, this pay-per-view, you had Woods and Kofi winning a tag match, and then Woods getting a surprise roll up on Lashley on the go-home raw before later in the night. Lashley got that promo about like, being soft. So I really think that you got your weeks mixed. I think maybe Kofi, Kofi and Woods get the first few weeks of this feud to get like surprise wins, and then on the go-home raw, uh, Lashley... Starts the night off by thinking would be maybe I'm soft and things need to change, and then ends the night by beating up Woods, takes to write him out, and also gives Kofi more motivation going into the the pay per view, and you know it makes the match more interesting. But I, I do agree, it's guess I think it's, it makes him look better, Kofi, you know, uh, than when he got beat by Lesnar because you know at least you know, he, you know he, was, he didn't immediately give up when he got put in the heart lock, and you know with Lesnar. He seemed to approach it as if, oh, here's a man who's being finisher, picking people up on their shoulders and throwing them hard as he can onto the ground. So my strategy is to immediately run at him and jump as high as I can. That can't go wrong. Makes complete and utter sense, doesn't it? Um, I just don't actually, you mentioned about how he didn't tap out immediately. I actually would have possibly liked it more if he hadn't tapped out at all and instead was just unconscious. Like, have it that Lashley has beaten him to the point that his body can't actually do any more. So instead of having it that Kofi taps out and gives up, you can have it that the ref calls for it because a bit like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn was when they were in NXT, do something like that. But even that booking, they specifically made sure that Kofi was awake enough that he had to quit. And I just feel that again, that your any decision you can make um, in regards to this one, is going to be one that is negative against Kofi. I mean, Lashley looks the strongest he's uh, he's probably ever been, and fair play to him, fantastic work. Um, he should go on and do some tremendous work. But what is it? <clears throat> Just like how Brock Lesnar beat the crap out of Kofi Kingston, Kofi Kingston, so that he could go on to fight Kane for Velasquez or whatever the fuck his name was. Um, are you now going to have Bobby Lashley do the same just so he can go on to face Goldberg? I mean, basically, you're pissing all over your main roster, and it just frustrates me. And I, I, I however, I will also say that this that in the long run. This might make sense depending on what they do with the money in the bank. 
yeah, I think we can talk about that when we get to the, the money in the bank because I do think there's an interesting possibility there. I think the rumours of Goldberg were swelling even the days before money in the bank because uh, I think one or two people were trying Goldberg post fight match because uh, last week was celebrating for a few seconds a bit longer than we people thought he might. So people started a couple people trying to Goldberg because they thought he was going to come out here, but no, he came out on Raw. Uh, but speaking of Raw, we go back to, go to the Raw Women's Title Match. Uh, Charlotte Flair challenging Rhea Ripley in a match that really should have had a stipulation given that the Hall Cell match ended in a DQ, but that's just, you know, me. So that's simple booking logic. Uh, the crowd weren't on site on their side at the start of the match. You know, they were chanting very loud to chant, we want Becky. They immediately cut the screen to black because uh, Charlotte gave the crowd the finger uh, very blatantly and Peacock probably didn't like that, which is probably what started the Peacock issues for a lot of people in the States. Uh, but then I think by looking for them, by the end of actually managed to get people on side and get people invested in the match. And basically with what happened on Raw, I'm conflicted with the result here. Because I really enjoyed the match. I still think the WrestleMania 36 match is probably easily their best. So their other matches haven't really lived up to that, especially not the Hell in a Cell one, which I got bored of right in the middle of it and turned the, the whole pay-per-view off. Uh, uh, but you know, Louise Charlotte relentlessly went on the knee of Ripley, like, catching the stairs, kicking out there and getting her 80 once again. Like she did at WrestleMania, get her to tap out to the figure eight, even though Rhea really resisted the urge to tap out for quite a while. Uh, it's weird because I, I was completely going into I thought, should Charlotte win it for a bigger victory for Rhea at SummerSlam, or should she definitively defend the belt against Charlotte to make up for the fact she couldn't defend the NXT belt against her? Uh, so I was really conflicted. I thought I thought when Charlotte won, I wasn't totally against it. Uh, what I am against, well, a few things I'm against. Well, one, the fact that we came out, she had her come out the next day on Raw and say, I am an 11-time champion. I'm a five-time Raw Women's champion, five-time SmackDown champion, and a one-time and final Divas champion. Like, are we forgetting the two NXT Women's title reigns, one of which involved the women you just beat last night, or that random month-long reign he had as women's tag champ, which, you know, I wasn't invested in the line of food, but she got pulled just so you could win a title and we're not even going to acknowledge it anymore. What the fuck? I, I'm about to say something probably relatively controversial. Um, this was the one match on the main roster I did not watch. And the reason why is because I don't enjoy watching Charlotte Flair matches anymore because every time I do, I feel like I'm just waiting for the inevitability, which is that she will go over. And it's made it that I can't even sit down and enjoy the matches. It's depressing to some degrees because she... I, I think she is a tremendous wrestler. She is undoubtedly one of those that when it comes to actually showing up, and getting in the ring, she puts in tremendous uh, performances every time, looks fantastic, and is a guaranteed main eventer who will not let you down. But it always feels like Charlotte will become champion even if she doesn't have to, to the detriment of everything else around. It's like, you look at most of the examples, you could almost say that. You could say, like, how um, the when she 
was the when she had it that she won at SummerSlam 2018 uh, in, uh, for Becky Lynch to turn heel, um, who which inevitably backfired. And then a month later, she just drops the title to Becky Lynch, which should have been done in the first place. You have her beating Asuka for the same title um, so that she could hold it for 12 days just to turn the WrestleMania main event into two championships, which makes Asuka look bad and makes it pointless to some degrees that she won it you've had it where she's the, won it at two years ago she won it at money in the bank and got cashed in on in the same event like literally within uh with, with within probably within like about 10 minutes you've had it that she's won in the last time she won the title at the smackdown championship she lost it within five days so these are just the SmackDown ones I'm looking at. If I had, a, if I actually had a look at the War ones, it's probably even worse because she keeps on having it. That all of these tremendous title reigns that she's getting, a lot of the time, several of them may only be for a couple of days because it's just to stat pad. That's all it is. And the this is a really good example where she ends up winning the title this time. Um, and that doesn't even take into account when she beat Asuka at WrestleMania the first time, which I actually thought was the wrong decision, or when she won the NXT Championship, which I don't think she needed. And it makes it that I don't want to watch Charlotte matches because I feel like the, it will, the decision will never be inspired by the actual story itself. It will be inspired by let's that pad Charlotte more. And this is not me blaming Charlotte at all because she can only do what she's asked to do and she is a tremendous wrestler, but I feel she'd be more appreciated as a tremendous wrestler if she wasn't so badly misused by booking and let down to some degrees because they keep on putting her in situations where she becomes the bad guy. So in this situation, she doesn't, she shouldn't have to win the championship. She doesn't need to be the champion, but, she will, but when the match before the match even started, I was like, "Oh, she's probably going to win because God forbid, Charlotte Flair doesn't win the championship." She even added that when she won the Royal Rumble last year, she did not need to win the Royal Rumble, but they keep on having to have it that she wins because they have to stat pads, and it gets really frustrating. And I would like to be able to go back to a time when I could actually watch a Charlotte Flair match and think to myself, "Oh." Maybe they'll make the right decision here. But she is now supposedly like a 14-time champion or something like that. And I can't even imagine how many of those title um, championships that she's won were pointless. And it just makes it more disappointing. And it makes me feel sorry for Rhea Ripley because she deserves much better. You see, I said at the time, and I stand by even now, her second NXT title could have been so much more than it ended up being uh, for both for Rhea Ripley for other people, but you know as as an example, it was an example of the way that the main roster writers and NXT writers can't seem to get their shit together and collaborate properly. You know because you know you see what happened on Buddy Raw this past week, where not only was Charlotte's NXT title is not even acknowledged, but then the NXT champion shows up and gets beat in two minutes with a roll up by Jeff Hardy. So you know. Recently, it's not been a good time to be an NXT guy if you pop up on the main roster uh, while still under NXT contract, that is. But, see, people will talk about the a lot of WWE's biggest missed opportunities or biggest creative failures. 
I don't think anybody will ever acknowledge the biggest one of the biggest career failures is how they fucked up Charlotte. Anyway, that you have, I will I will fight this all day. Probably the greatest athlete, greatest female athlete you've had, like maybe ever, if not the modern era, or potentially one of the best athletes, just period, regardless of gender you've ever had, one of the most naturally gifted people you've ever had, and yet you have overpushed her or damaged her to such an extent that you've forever negatively altered people's view of her in a way that it seemingly you can't alter no matter what you do. Because it's not I don't think it's as simple as Roman Reigns because everybody what everybody wanted from Roman Reigns was just to see him be a heel and then he turned heel and then that started off on a story and it was actually compelling and people immediately got behind him. But that's not the situation with because they tried giving her time off and they tried to have her lean into it, but no matter how much she acknowledges that people don't like her or like takes t- some time away from that, you know, the whole absence make the heart go wonder. Fans just aren't getting, aren't going to change how they feel about her. And that's forever going to negatively probably impact her matches. And that's WWE's fault. And that needs to be acknowledged. And it's coming at the expense of Charlotte. And it's coming at the expense of other people. Because I was, I was actually applying an article at some point not too long ago about how WWE, this very thing about how WWE negatively like, altered the perception of Charlotte. Then I think we're going to change that and talk about a subject I talked about on last year's main review, which has been like, I think the push of Charlotte is, is further part of, a smaller part of a bigger issue with Debbie, which, is always, which has been the last few years, the over-reliance on the four horsewomen and how hard it's seemingly been for them to prop, give a sustained push to other women wrestlers outside of those four, other than a, the, a certain few, like say Alexa Bliss. Because you all look at Asuka's up and down trajectory, how they try to push Nia Jax as a, a star. She, the wonders with Shayna Baszler. Like, I, I acknowledge people should be, were unhappy with Shayna Baszler. I, I acknowledge people weren't happy with real losing to Charlotte. But why was, I said at the time, why was Shayna losing to Becky okay and realism wasn't? Because Shayna and Rhea winning this weekend would have been great. And yet they both lost, but yet because people like Becky and not Charlotte, somehow people were so quick to justify Becky winning, even though she, you know, I know we couldn't have known, but even if we didn't know, Becky even said herself, I wanted to lose to Shayna. So, like, so like, what was wrong with just putting the belt on Shayna in the first place? So, you know, I think there's just a larger issue with the kind of booking here in terms of the women's division. And you all wonder, is this going to lead to a triple threat something? Because now Nikki's cashed in on, uh, on Raw. So that's three, other than Carmella, no woman has held the money in the bank for longer than a day, by the way, because God forbid we built a woman's cash in after Carmella. Like, because I, I instantly thought Nikki was going to lose because, you know, they were really hyped. They really made sure to go out of the way to mention on the kickoff show that no woman had failed to cash in yet. And every year that goes by, I think we're getting closer to that eventually happening. And I hope they tell a decent story with it when that does happen. But like Rhea gets beat, beat by Charlotte, no, she targets the knee again. So Rhea's been outsmarted almost every time by Charlotte, and you think it was easy, it was building up to the eventual win, which would hopefully come at SummerSlam. But no, they had to complicate it further. No, they complicated it before by adding Asuka before, and then they added Nikki Cross into the mix. And having Rhea hit Charlotte with a, a riptide on the outside after getting DQ'd, as Charlotte got DQ'd on Raw. And then, as she's, by the way, as she's sitting the riptide, then Nikki's music hit. So somebody fucked up. And the timing of that music. And then Nikki loudly shouts, Get up, get up. And Charlotte still gets up, dazed, think, 
not being able to hear someone with a very thick Scottish accent yelling at her, and then Nikki wanted to take with a fucking crossbody. Like, he really just like, and I, you know, I think the only reason they had Nikki Cash in a was because they thought, oh, crowds are back, and we need we need a big moment on every show to take advantage of having you know having a crowd there to react again. I've, <clears throat> you're pretty much putting into words exactly how I feel a lot of the time when it comes to this. It's one of the reasons why I, as as good as this pay-per-view ends up being, and I do think there's a lot of positives to it, every time I watch a positive pay-per-view from WWE, I feel like I'm being lulled into a false sense of security and they're going to disappoint me again because that's what they do every time to the point that if not for the fact that we were planning to do this review, I may not have even watched the pay-per-view because I'll just be like, why well, set myself up for inevitable hurt, which is what it feels like when I watch a WWE event and the entire storyline booking for Charlotte winning the championship or uh, Baszler not winning the cha- uh, championship or having it that, Nikki suddenly cashes it in, etc. That it just, I, it just makes me all question a lot of it, especially. Uh, I don't know. I'm just wait. Every now and again, I hope for a little bit of positivity from the WWE when it comes to anything. And tonight, to some degree, seeing Nikki win the Money in the Bank was one of those moments where. It doesn't make sense. I'm not sure it's a good idea because they're probably not going to do anything with it. And then they cash it in the next night. And I'm like, right, so you've gone a step beyond what you did with Otis and actually gave the comedy performer the victory. But then you've shot your load so quickly that we've now got another 12 months without a money in the bank contract for the women's division which always had such an interesting complexity to it. Um, especially after they were talking about how nobody has failed it before. And the worrying thing is, I feel that if it, if anyone is going to fail to cash in at some point, they'll probably end up having it that Charlotte Flair wins the money in the bank so that she can fail cashing it in because she can take the hit. But then all I think to myself is money in the bank should be the sort of thing that when someone gets it, it should be a near guaranteed victory. You sh- there shouldn't be a possibility of you messing up. And the fact that it, that there's only been a couple on your hand that you can say have failed to cash in properly um, should say something. And if all you're going to do is to be the first woman to not cash in properly, probably will end up going to Charlotte, just adds to it. And it just all frustrates me. Yeah. <coughs> and again, probably... Do or what they did with Cena that one time where Cena was the first day field to cash in, even though Cena probably shouldn't have won money in the bank, period. Uh, or even worse, it'll be somebody uh, somebody will win it who we want to see win the title, uh, like Shayna Baszler or something like that, and then they'll have them lose uh, like in a very underwhelming way. And, you know, I hate to, to say these kind of things, but, you know, uh, sometimes you got to just, you know, sometimes you got to just call it when shit when shit's bad because Liv Morgan I don't I couldn't really have seen her winning the title but you could have again still told a story but you just threw away another like potential thing with the money in the bank by giving it to Nikki and then sacrificing any, anything you could have gotten out of Nikki winning the title with uh 
like, again, not a very superhero heroic thing to do, casting on our vulnerable, you know, person, even though she's a very much the villain of the, the women's division is Charlotte Flair. But, you know, like, and I don't even see her having a long reign. If she holds it past SummerSlam, I'll be shocked. Uh, I think somebody, maybe in Fightful or somebody out there said, like, surely the story with, with Nikki should have been, uh, she's got this, like, bigger sense of confidence and she should have given that she beat Rhea and Charlotte a few months ago and beat the clock challenges so she thinks she's like more deserving than she is and then she gets the title shot says ahead of time I'm going to cash in and then loses but, but puts in a good fight that would have been a good enough story but you know I'm going to watch, I'm definitely going to watch SummerSlam because I've heard that the plans for it are like a very much a WrestleMania caliber show but I think when I look at the card and potential coming out of it, the Rollins title match instantly, but even before it's even been made official, I'm not looking forward to. I'm curious to see what they do for SummerSlam because I think there'll be some fantastic matches on there. But I'm expecting that at least one of the championships will feature Charlotte challenging for it because God forbid we go a month where she doesn't challenge for a title. Mm-hmm. Uh, on some more, I am. I believe the match of the night, the men's money in the bank ladder match. And again, it's not because there's men in one match and women in another that I'm shitting on one and praising the other. It's just that more often than not, uh, it's very rare that a men's and women's version of a match in the same night are both of equal quality. One's always better, often better than the other when it comes to mind the bank, Roy Rumbles, Elimination Chambers. I think when they first started doing it, like 2018, the women's chamber and Mind the banks, I think, were better than the men's in the particular years. It just varies depending on pay per view. But, but also, given the fact that they had some actual noteworthy spots in this match, I think the lineup itself, even though you could easily call out that guy's not going to win it, that guy's not going to win it, I think it may have been one of the best like lineup for a Mind the Bank match to probably ever ever done. And going into it, Biggie was also the favourite for me. I think a close second might have been Riddle, potentially. Uh, mainly because of the whole thing with Goldberg, there was a Goldberg comeback because, uh, you know, Big E, as we kind of alluded to, it would be good if he got mixed in with Bob Lashley and, and uh, Goldberg. Is, you know, Big E's made no secret that a match with Goldberg is actually a dream match for him. But also, somebody pointed out, imagine if Matt Riddle cashes in during the match between Goldberg and Lashley and pins Goldberg as a big fuck you to Goldberg because we know. <laughs> See, that would have been amazing, and I would have gladly watched that. Um, <clears throat> I was quite impressed at the range of wrestlers they had in it, because if I go through them pretty much, I think um, Kevin Owens is doing such tremendous work pretty much every week that he would have been a deserved winner of the Money in the Bank um, briefcase, I think. Um, Matt Riddle, like you said, would, would have been the favourite to win it. Um, to some degrees, he may not need it yet, um, but if he did win it, I don't think anyone would mind. Um, <clears throat> Nakamura was um, in a really good spot at the moment, doing well of having won the crown, and it would actually do quite well for his character to win the Money in the Bank briefcase, even though he probably doesn't need it. Um, Ricochet wasn't going to win it because he is only appreciated when it comes to appearing in ladder matches, and the rest of the year usually is let down by creative, but he is fantastic as an option for this match. John Morrison, I thought, was very unlikely to win, I have to admit, but I think it may not have necessarily um, 
have been a surprise if he had won it because of them doing, having done similar with The Miz several years ago. Um, you've got Big E, who is the biggest favourite uh, possible and would completely deserve win- winning it. And then you've got Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre, who are two of the best best main event performers on the roster. Um, if either one of them won it, it wouldn't necessarily be a surprise. Um, <clears throat> the only thing is, is that the one person I thought shouldn't win it was going to be Drew McIntyre. And that's not because I think he's bad or anything like that. I think he has done tremendous work, uh, especially during the Thunderdome period because of how much tremendous work he did as a main eventer, the caliber of matches he was performing in. But my worry is, is they're going to get to a point that the, they don't want the fans to turn on him because of the way they're booking him. Because pretty much after losing the title, he still was appearing in all of the title matches and he wasn't supposed to be able to challenge for the title anymore and somehow still gets into the Money in the Bank ladder match, which had elements of Roman Reigns at his worst in terms of like, I remember that I still remember the Royal Rumble where Roman Reigns lost a universal title match to Kevin Owens and then came out number 30 that evening in the Royal Rumble. It's like, you can't, you're basically not even bothering hiding the favoritism. And I think the one person who had to lose was Drew McIntyre, which was quintessential to him still being a babyface. So. No, I had a lot of feelings coming to this match about who could win, what the options were, etc. And I think the fact that they had so much potential in terms of what could be done shows what a tremendous range of wrestlers they had in it. And you were pretty much going to be guaranteed at least a good match. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone expected it to be as damn good as it actually was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we drew Like, I don't think he even should have been in this match because, you know, like, if it... Like winning the money in the bank and put some potentially in the cross pass with Boyle Ashton, but then you lost a match that against Boyle Ashton means you couldn't challenge him. So even if there was a percentage of a chance that you'd then be a contender via money in the bank to challenge Lashley, then should, he should have been just disqualified from being able to qualify for it. Because, you know, like follow through with your stipulations. If he's not allowed to challenge Lashley, then don't have him near the title for a while. Have him re feud with Seamus for the US title or something like that. Or, you know, the thing with gender, whatever they're doing. Because a lot, like, I think the biggest, best quote I've heard about this is like, yeah, don't rely on history or 3 and anything. Let's have a fight over a sword and a motorbike. But <laughs> thing Drew, that's my biggest criticism of Raw during the last few months of Thunderdome is that it made me turn against Drew McIntyre just for how bad his promos were, how much of a whiny face he was when moaning about getting a one-on-one title shot. Like, as people rightfully pointed out, if this was if this was anybody else but Drew, if it's like Roman a few years ago, we would have shot all over this. And I, it's funny how things change from Roman being one of the best things, Roman being the most annoying thing on the TV and Drew coming back and people want him to get the shot to a few years later, Roman's the most compelling thing on TV. And people are like, oh, go away from the main event for a while. You know, It's funny how things kind of change in that way. So I was glad he didn't uh, win it. I love how Morrison sent Mr. back because he had to do it on his own and then spent 10 minutes teaming out with Seth Rollins. <laughs> <laughs> that was like um, uh, a, a, a nice little moment, I have to admit. Like, I mean, to be fair, what was the Miz really going to do? He couldn't exactly run around anywhere and help. So 
that makes sense to me. Um, I, I feel like um, the teaming with Seth Rollins was actually very clever. Um, it shows the manipulation of Rollins and how easily he can utilize someone. And the fact that he that Rollins was clever enough to, to actually keep the partnership until Morrison hurt himself on the ladder and then decided it was time to turn against him was really clever uh, timing in terms of um, utilizing someone for as long as you need them. And I thought, I would definitely say that Seth Rollins came across very well in this match in terms of how clever he was. And in fact, I'd say, I don't think there's a single person in there who came out of this looking badly. Every single one of them did some fantastic work. Ricochet and um, Morrison were just like highlight reels galore. Kevin Owens was a tremendous character worker as possible and taking some of the ugliest bumps possible. Like the Falcon Arrow onto the ladder had me like cringing and the power bomb through the ladder as well. You can never say that Kevin Owens doesn't go above and beyond to make sure um, he makes the match memorable or look good. Um, and shockingly, I'd almost go far to say that the one who probably was least involved was ironically the person who won in Big E. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That is weird how that worked out, but I don't think... I still, like, he did have a decent spot at the end with the big ending off the ladder and everything. I, mean, I know I said there were some people you could tell weren't going to win it, but didn't mean they weren't... Didn't mean them that, like, last second. It would have been a surprise if they did win, nearly had people who could have probably won it in previous years. Like, I still think Owen should have won it in 2018 rather than Strowman or, like, Akamir could have probably won it back in 2017. But as long as he's got the crown and there, there's the rumours of, like, the King of the Ring coming back, I think he's probably going to try and defend his, like, crown, his status as King in that tournament when that comes around. And I'm hoping for a final of him versus, like, Xavier Woods because Woods has said the one thing he wants to accomplish is not be world champion or anything like that, is to be King of the Ring. Uh, we also had... Riddle being inhabited by the spirit of Randy Orton hitting RKO's everywhere. And then when he goes to do the stomp on the mat thing, he gets caught with the curb stomp, which I just laugh out loud. I just, uh, he's just doing facials, he's pulling, and I just this stomp right in the face. And then, yeah, I really like the fact that, you know, he teased Seth because Seth could have been a surprise, you know, given they could have had him interfere during Edge Roman because the rumor is Seth versus Edge at SummerSlam. Uh, but then you had Big E doing the, the spot and I was very nervous that someone would push him. So as he's climbing, I was yelling at the television, go on, you beautiful bastard, as Big E was going down. And then Big E got the, got the contract. Everybody wanted it to happen. It did happen. There's an there's a image of him holding the briefcase with a white, white expression and somebody put a caption over it when your boss gives you your check. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been, like... I can't think of a person in the match who deserved it most for the tremendous work he has done. Um, he, a biggie has been a absolute highlight of pretty much anything he's been in for the last three, four years, if not longer. Um, and it's a, it's been a long time coming, but it's good to see him actually get, uh, the opportunity that someone like him deserves um, in terms of actually getting the briefcase. Um, I, I even like the way, it's going to sound a little bit strange, that he that you had a point where it looked like the most obvious winners. So you had it that, first of all, Drew McIntyre probably would have been one of the favourites. And you had it that he got closest to almost winning and then got attacked by Jinder Mahal. 
And then you had Kevin Owens, who's probably an, uh, the second favorite, uh, getting close and being powerbound for a ladder. And it feels and it felt like really great storytelling that every time it seemed like it was that it was their moment, cruel fate took it through them. And then this time, the third person who gets closest is the one who actually wins it. And it's the one where it's very much deserved. And I think the celebration from the crowd definitely uh, demonstrates that. This was a top-notch money-in-the-bank match. There was not a single quiet moment. There was tremendous action. Uh, Fantastic false endings. And it was a victory that was rewarding and actually felt like a moment that says, you have earned this. Um, what interests me, though, and this, could, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, is um, I don't feel that Big E would make sense as being the type that would um, cash in like you would normally. I can almost see him doing similar to Rob Van Dam or John Cena, where he actually says when he's going to face them. I could, I could see him actually giving a date of when he's going to go for it because I just. I'm struggling to wrap my image around Big E being the type that will suddenly take advantage of someone who's been injured. I feel like he's someone who would want to win um, and cement his victory um, by beating that person at their best. What do you feel? I could, I could see it um, as a head team. Like, that's why I want to keep an eye on the next couple of weeks because the rumour is he's going to go to Raw because like, they want to do a draft after SummerSlam and the rumour is he's going to Raw. I could see him as showing up on Raw ahead of SummerSlam and interrupting Lashley and Goldberg and announce himself for their match to, you know, you know three big meaty men slapping me at SummerSlam. I'd, I mean, what more could you ask for? Uh, but, you know, again, I think it was, if it's on Bobby Lashley that he's cashing on while he's beginning, you could say he could play it off as he's getting revenge for Kofi, and so he feels justified in taking advantage of that. So it depends how you, you play it in that regard. But, you know, I'm really. I think in hindsight, it's good that they didn't have uh, Big E win the Rumble because I know a lot of people wanted them to. I think you know. I think it was around a year ago that he first was given permission to go on this singles run by the New Day, and you look at the build. You know, he had a, his first singles feud against uh, Sheamus, which culminated in a big, like, brutal, like, falls getting anywhere match. He, I know he wasn't in the five one five at Survivor but he was kept out of it purposely because SmackDown got squashed that night in that match. He won the IC title. He had a solid performance in the Rumble, and yeah, the Apollo feud went on a bit long and everything. But like, I like the fact they slowly but surely built him up as a reliable like upper mid card, and then into the main event with this money in the bank. Because you know, it's like Austin. Austin, no matter what the video, the documentaries may say, didn't go from immediately go from Austin three sixteen, uh, Mania thirteen title. You know, there were a lot of stuff in between. Austin won King of the Ring, and then the next month he's on the pre-show against Yokozuna. So I think uh, it's fine sometimes to actually build on people and he, has, yeah, he wasn't forgotten about as some people might have implied that he was. I like that they took their time before building because I think for someone like Big E to promote him into the main event uh, scene, you have to give him one main event because you can cash it in whenever and you can build them up a little bit more before he cashes it in to make it more believable. Whereas if you want to give someone that push by having them win the Rumble, you have to be because of like okay, you have to be ready immediately now because you have to because you have to because this is going to be one of the main events for the biggest show of the year. You need to convince people to come to the biggest show of the year. You need to convince people to buy tickets, which can be a lot of pressure on somebody. Whether as if you give them a year to properly build them up with money in the bank, 
then you get people more time to invest in them. I think a really good example of that would probably be when it comes to Drew McIntyre, when he won the Royal Rumble, he he felt like a ready-made star. Like he was ready to be a main eventer at WrestleMania. Whereas if it had been Big E who won it, it may have been a little bit too much too soon. Whereas this, this is basically... The briefcase means he should hopefully cement himself as a main event option. And then it's just going to wait for the moment where he's actually able to uh, make it official and actually become champion. And I much prefer that. I would have, because I, I hate to say it, if he had been pushed into a position <clears throat> and he wasn't ready for it, I feel they would have been a, uh, the booking team and uh, those backstage would have been a lot less. Um, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Um, supportive of it than they would have been if it was, say, a Drew McIntyre or someone like that. So I I like the fact that from the looks of it, um, we're actually having him start out with the right opportunity at the right time, etc. Yeah, I think it's very interesting to see what happens. We keep an eye on that for the next couple weeks because he is still listed as a SmackDown guy. And I think he is having another match with Apollo, but I think... This is a smackdown that they're doing like in like two parts, one in Cleveland, but they're also doing some for the this hip hop festival. I cannot remember the name of it. I think he's going to be one of the matches at the festival because if it's a hip hop festival, maybe Wally will be there who does his uh, theme song. So maybe they'll use that as an opportunity for him to be played live. I don't know. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Biggie in the next couple of weeks. But we then go on to the main event, which. I had to admit, by this point, I was starting to fade. You know, I was I was I was on a bit of a high for most of the night because it was a solid show, but it was already coming close to four in the morning UK time. And these two two guys who, uh, I'm not saying it's in a bad way, like to have slower, more story-based matches, and that's usually fine. But at close to four in the morning, when the monster and sugar that you've been having is starting to wear off. Uh, it's one of those nights you think, I'm going to enjoy this better when I watch it back when I'm awake. Mm. I'm really glad I watched this Monday during the day instead <laughs> so that I could watch it when I was actually fully awake. Um, and by the time I got to this match, I have to admit the the <clears throat> promo package especially got me really well set up in preparation. Uh, and I was actually quite excited to see what these two wrestlers could do because... This is going to sound strange. Roman Reigns' matches nowadays are a lot slower because they're mainly story-based. But it actually has the sort of epic feel that Triple H used to try and get and failed at. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a a successful version of an epic Triple H match, which I feel is quite ironic to some degrees, but it also means I'm even more excited to see it. Um, and I just had, um, I admit I was one of those that I thought these, these two are probably going to do some really tremendous work here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think because all the logic would dictate everything builds up to the main event and you want, you know, there'll be some big moments in your main event. So I think when it gets slowed down and, uh, when it goes as long as this match does, I think it can take some people out, especially for watching it in the UK as late as we watch it. But I'm, I'm glad that, you know, Roman is wrestling in the style that suits this character he's portraying now. 
because I know he does a lot of the same moves, but he slowed down a lot. Uh, I think more than that, it suits the. Uh, he's got opponents that uh, can go with this, can often go with this day with him. You know, uh, Cesaro suited it. You've got uh, matches with like Ray and the Triple Threat at WrestleMania. It's actually produced some of his best matches over the last year, I think. Mm. Uh, I think it's just because Edge has also got criticism because like, his match with Orton at WrestleMania 36 in particular got shit on for it, for the length of it. So, I don't know. I think it's because these are two guys who like to wrestle on matches getting together in a long match. People then are all of a sudden surprised when the match is very long and slow. Like, I don't know how else to really explain that. It wasn't my favourite Roman match of his run so far. It's not my favourite Edge match, but I'm not going to shit on as a bad main event. I mean, I, I get why these are the main event, because these two guys are worth being the main event, and also the moment that happened afterwards had to be the, the moment of the show. But how do you feel about, you know, not ending Money in the Bank with a Money in the Bank ladder match? Because, you know, I'm, I'm all, I think I really like the idea of Money in the Bank ending with somebody posing on the, uh, the ladder with their beefy, because, you know, I'm not totally against the main event, but like, it's almost like the Rumble for me because it feels weird whenever the Royal Rumble doesn't mean event the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Um, <clears throat> I do understand the idea when it comes to the Royal Rumble. I think the Royal Rumble always should main event because it is, it is the reason why you're watching. So it makes sense in the war and it is the biggest victory. Um, but I feel to some degrees it makes more sense having at Money in the Bank the ladder match happening earlier on in the night because it opens up the opportunities of what could happen. You can't have the Royal Rumble winner win and then instantly challenge the champion straight after. But if someone's got that briefcase, it adds an extra element to the main event. I mean, just think, imagine if you'd added that um, John Cena and CM Punk at Money in the Bank was on the middle of the card because you had to have a Money in the Bank ladder match first. Mm-hmm. It's, one, it's one of those where the right match needs to actually main event. And I think there has been situations where I think the wrong one has. Like when John Cena won the Money in the Bank ladder match and he finished the night celebrating with the title, I actually think it was a bad decision because the best match of the night was actually CM Punk defending the title against Daniel Bryan. And that deserved to be in the main event. But instead, it was put on the... Um, in the mid card. So for me, the money in the bank is one of those that it makes more sense where what the story is going to tell. I mean, you couldn't have had Dean Ambrose cashing the title, for instance, and you couldn't have had Seth Rollins be involved um, due to the fact that he wouldn't have had the motivation he needed yet. So to me, it makes sense to have the title on last, not only because it's the most important thing, but you have more storyline possibilities with the idea that someone could actually come in and cash in at any moment during the main event, which makes it more exciting. Yeah, I think they always choose the worst times for them to close by Money in the Bank because you've had Money in the Bank previous close the likes of Buddy Baron Corbin or Braun Strowman as holding up the briefcase. Uh, still not had a women's Money in the Bank match and the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, even though they've done it for Chamber and the Royal Rumble. Which is interesting. Uh, I'm just saying. But then, you know, the referee gets mildly bumped into, which means he's out. He's unconscious. Nothing can move him for at least 10 minutes. Which then gives I, it, it's, be, uh, 
before you continue, I'm sorry, I have to say this. Um, I love Charles Robinson. I think he is one of the best referees we have ever had in history. But his selling for that bump was some of the worst I'd ever seen. It looked like an 85-year-old woman got gently knocked to the floor. It was embarrassing, and I felt sorry for him that he had to try and sell that. I think Eddie Kingston with the AEW Revolution Sparklers was more convincing. It was just horrendous. Um, But that's just my little random rant about that. Continue on, please. Yeah, I mean, I think what's funnier is whenever a wrestler gets referees and has to take a similar looking bump, weak bump, weak, weak breath bump off a simple move, which probably would knock them down when they're actually wrestling, which means that clearly whatever causes the referees to be so weak is hidden in that, in the fabric of those referee shirts. They're cursed somehow, I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, maybe that's a mystery for Keefe Court somehow. But yeah, so he takes the bump, so that means Edge uh, can set up for his. Uh, the deal, I think they're calling it, where he has the submission with the bit of chair leg and the mouth of Roman. It looks like Roman's actually going to pass out. Uh, which, what was I thinking when the referee would come to and see him in a submission? Who, what, would he, he wouldn't call for the submission one for Edge if he managed to spot the fact he's blatantly using a chair leg. But then in comes Dev Rollins' super kick, Edge in the back of the head. They mentioned, they acknowledged the, the moment from 2014 back on, on SmackDown this week where they acknowledged when Seth threatened to stomp Edge, his neck, in order to get Cena to bring back the authority. Back when we saw Edge, you know, his neck was basically one step away from him being paralysed. So it's nice to see that we can remember their history when they want to. But uh, yeah. gets involved, and then eventually uh, sets up the door for a Roman to get the win. And we tell tells a bit of a brawl between Edge and Seth afterwards, before while uh, Seth's kind of teased me, we're going to get to a fight with Roman. And then so Roman gets the microphone, says that now the whole world can acknowledge him. And then John Cena's music hits. But nobody comes out because I couldn't see anybody. Uh, <laughs> do not see him in that luminous green fucking shirt. Like, yeah, some of the ugliest looking t-shirts of all time. For a man who says he can't be seen as Rock the Rock said, how can we not see you with those brightly coloured t-shirts you insist on wearing? Uh, so Cena comes out. Uh, he's held it totally fine unless you did a wide shot from behind we clearly see the bald spot uh, they have a stare down to close the show setting up the match that's well seen I made the challenge for at SummerSlam which I'm sure by the time Smackdown happens it'll be confirmed and that'll probably go on last uh, uh, but you know I don't. I, I think you, you couldn't argue that as the main event at SummerSlam what did you think of the finish to the match and the return of John Cena I thought the build-up um, to the ending was fantastic. I thought even even having the Usos trying to come in and getting taken out by the Mysterials, that was one of the moments where I was like, God, I really wish I'd watched the, uh, the kickoff show now because it tied in really well. Um, having Seth Rollins appear and then interfere, etc. And I thought all of these different elements coming together worked really well. And it's one of those where... It shows how strong the storytelling has been on SmackDown in that they were able to bring together three different storylines in a manner that made sense. And for me, that was tremendous work. Um, I think having that moment where afterwards Roman is it goes like uh, is trying to basically have a brag moment. And that's when John Cena comes out. Because, of course, he's not going to come out and help Edge during the match. That wouldn't make sense. But... Um, the timing of it 
and the bit uh, I thought was so perfectly done. And I think you were at that stage where with all the new fans, with all the fans back, back in the arena, wanting to get back into wrestling, you needed something special. Now, they had had tremendous matches throughout the uh, show that they could enjoy, but this was the first surprise that they had that could actually um, almost be a reward to them for being being able to be there and watch it and see it, etc. And I thought having John Cena come back is the perfect choice because he is one of those that you, you only appreciate once he's been gone. And as soon as he comes back, you now have it that you realize why he was so good. And the fact that he could come in and he doesn't even say a word to Roman and the crowd is lapping it up as hard as they are shows the star power that man still has. And I think they have instantly made a tremendous cliffhanger that's got the fans going, I want to watch war to see what the fuck happens next. And you can't ask for anything more than that when it comes to the ending of a pay-per-view. I mean, it's a clear conclusion and uh, to be in a clear next step of the story. Roman's been running roughshod. It's clearly what, this, what SmackDown needs right now is someone to play Peacemaker. So I don't know why I stole it from someone else. But uh, I liked it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, John Cena's already made the challenge for Raw. And he's taking a fusion so he can show up on whatever show he wants, but he sits for SmackDown. And I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to it. Um, I definitely think that's a SummerSlam main event. It's a bit of main event of any pay per view, but it's not, good it's finally going to be on a big four because they've only wrestled once one on one on pay per view. And it was on a B pay per view, on No Mercy, it's 17, I think it was. So, you know, it's good it's actually on a prop, uh, big four pay per view. And I'm. Uh, and if I all about it, I don't think Cena will win, but you know I wouldn't be against it if it happened. But so that's been my in the bank 2021. Uh, so I don't know if we'll bother rate, doing a little rating, but you know what your overall thoughts as we come to the end of this this show. Uh, overall, I feel that this was the I would say close to perfect show for a returning audience. Um, it was one of those that it had the major highlights, had some tremendous matches, some feel-good moments, um, and enough few uh, enough uh, intriguing possibilities raised to make fans want to see the next episode. And it definitely was a really good pay-per-view. Several of the matches you can probably recommend easily. Um, but it really shows how important having the crowd is in terms of how much they elevated every single moment. For me, this was the sh- this was one of those shows that the WWE could actually turn around and say, "This is where having an audience makes all the difference." Yeah, I definitely think like this is a solid show, but I do think it will make go down people's estimation as the years go on, as they realise that a lot of the things that made it great was the fact that. Uh, when the big moments happened, a crowd was finally there to respond to them. But I do think that the the match, the men's mind the back match, especially will go down as one of the best matches, like hopefully ever, in uh, in terms of the mind back ladder match. The women's one will be quite forgettable, I think, in a few years' time, other than like seeing who won it. So 
yeah, I think overall social for a B show, for a show uh, where for fans to come back, it had to be, like I said before, it had to be a money in the bank. And I'm hoping that we keep this going over the SummerSlam and we've got the draft. And I hope that's not just a month thing where, oh, we're trying new things just because crowds are back and things then suddenly die down as the year goes on. I'm hoping this can be a consistent, you know, rain, run of momentum and things actually do start to change a little bit in WWE. But we can only hope, and I'm sure we'll be back. Uh, maybe not just not just after maybe some other people will join us for SummerSlam because I'm I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about when SummerSlam comes around. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Sam, want to tell the people where else they can hear your opinions on on wrestling uh, or other things. So um, I currently have uh, two uh, two to three articles in preparation for WrestleJoy. One continuing my Nakamura series. The other continuing my CM Punk series. The third one is probably going to be a bit more personal, niche, but um, uh, niche. What am I on about niche? <laughs> Compared to most of my articles, but it's something that I was quite interested in. I have an article coming out for coached vultures soon which i'm especially proud of which is all about um uh, specifically looking at hangman page in terms of facing kenny omega in in basically whether or not what's important is him winning or him failing and coming to terms with it so it's, it's an article i'm actually read, uh, quite proud of and i'm hoping to do quite well uh, and that sort of thing so I'd say I've got like uh, three or four possible articles coming out, hopefully within the next week or two. And I probably will uh, ending up having my opinions on some other shows uh, at some point because you always need an extra Pat McAfee on the on the roster to help out and that sort of thing. Uh, I also have an idea that I'd like to get into possibly regarding Kenny Omega and his uh, title collection but uh, I'm not going to go into detail on that one yet so I'm just going to give slight hints because I'm a, a teasy little bitch like that <laughs> yeah very much so uh, you can follow Rogue Opinions at Rogue underscore Opinions you can check me out at Scott McCoy 1996 uh, if you're interested in Impact you can check out either my other podcast Scott and Paul Graham podcast at SBR where we did the uh, we brought down all the stuff that led up to anniversary recently and did some predictions and at some point end of this week star next week we'll have a review when Paul gets back from holiday uh, for anniversary. but if you can't wait that long then at some point next year so a written version of a review will should be up on Rogue Pains 20 at wordpress.com I is our website uh, that will be written by me uh, you can also find me and Sam doing similarly length podcasts if you're not longer on Smackdown from the year 2000 onwards on the Real Rich Smackdown review, uh, potentially that idea that he's he's uh, hinting at uh, will be coming soon. Keefe Court is back as I preside over a case, the case of whose hand was that under the ring at Hell in a Cell 2020? At uh, me, uh, I'll, like Carl and Nathan will try to convince me who they think it is. Also, a very interesting tournament uh, is happening soon with uh, myself, Nathan Greenway, and the second anniversary awards winning guest of the year, Erica Lee, to discuss what is the best candy ever. That is an interesting subject. I'm sure nobody will fall out or nobody will get angry at anybody during the course of that tournament. These, these things always go smoothly. Uh, 
also enjoy get Pony and Easy with myself and Carl ranking every Star Wars TV show and film so far, except for Bad Batch because it's still in the midst of airing. And of course, not not including those weird Ewok made for TV films or whatever they were. Uh, and then we're going to be moving on to Loki over the next couple of weeks, so that should be fun. All sorts of good content going. On. We're really starting to churn some stuff out after a couple of weeks of uh, being a little quiet content-wise. Uh, Jimmy came back uh, for a new team reunion, so that should be him for the next six months uh, whenever he decides to return again. But you know, it's all going down here at Rogue Opinions. As I said, you follow all at Rogue underscore Opinions. And uh, that's all I think I've got to say. So uh, I'm just going to say goodbye and bugger off. See you later, alligators.